there's no use in us suffering in silence. When we feel lonely and when we feel alienated from society, that's what makes it even worse for us. That's what makes us feel like we have nobody to lean on when we are going through a bad day. Hello, and thank you for joining me here on Hope to Recharge podcast, the podcast that's designed to break the stigma around mental health and to create some hope and inspiration and give some practical tips to those that are struggling with mental health, whether it's from personal stories to break the stigma or some advice from professionals in the mental health community. Whether you are struggling with mental health on your own or you know a loved one that is struggling, we are here to support you and to create a community so you you know you are not alone. The road to recovery can be difficult and challenging. At Hope to Recharge, we believe that in mental health, together is always better. I'm your host, Matana. Thank you for joining me here today. I would like to take this opportunity to pause for a second and give a big thank you to our sponsor, BetterHelp.com. Have you been thinking of getting therapy for a while, but you live in a place that doesn't have therapist that meets your need? Or are they too expensive for what you can afford and you really want to get help and therapy? Or do you travel a lot and you can't access the therapist when you travel? Or do you come home from work and you're too it's too late to go to an office for therapy? Well, betterhelp.com is an online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists and choose from the therapist that meets your need. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. That's betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge to receive your 10% off on your first month. Take charge of your wellness. Go try them out. They really try hard to match you up with the specific therapist that will meet your need. Don't wait to get help. Go now, betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. You can access them from your phone, your tablet, your computer. You can be in your bed and you can receive your therapy you need. Don't wait longer. Hello, and thank you for joining me here on Hope to Recharge podcast. Today, I have a special guest all the way from South Africa. South Africa is one of my favorite countries because my best, best, best friend is from South Africa. Besides being my best friend, there's so many good memories that I have from South Africa. So I was excited to meet this young, vibrant, phenomenal woman, Zahara Sorti. Did I say the name right? <laughs> yes, you actually did. Wow, thank <laughs> yeah, you. With that little accent. So Zahara is young, go-getter, a therapist. <laughs> a licensed therapist in South Africa. She was working in the Oprah Winfrey School as a therapist. um, And I just found out that it's the first and only Oprah Winfrey School in the world. It's like her her tryout of, of schools around the world. And Zahara had the great opportunity of working in this school. She's going to tell us a little bit about this school soon. Zahara believes that mental health is not only medication and statistics and textbooks. There's a holistic approach that we have to look each one individually into each situation and fine tune exactly what's going on on this person. And we can't just make it a number and a plan and an Excel sheet. This is what you got to do like everybody else. She goes deep dive. She has a private practice now and she sees her own clients and she tries to get them to their own well-being in a holistic approach. And my good friend sent me her Instagram, one of her posts, and I I wish I had it on me because I would want to read it. Maybe I'll look for it a little bit later. So Estelle, thank you for sharing Zahara's beautiful Instagram with me because I started following her and I loved her approach and I loved her energy. And I reached out and I said, are you willing to come on our podcast? And she share some of your visions all the way from South Africa because the culture is different. And I believe cultures create different mindsets, different abilities. And I would love for my audience to tap into your brain and your journey and to understand how you treat your patients and and your approach to life, which is extremely positive. So Estelle, thank you for introducing me to Zahara. And Zahara, thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much for that introduction. Wow. I feel so I feel so privileged and I feel so honored to actually be given a platform to talk about something which I'm passionate about. I think that 
so so often um, we tend to view a career as something which just gives us money and is something which we just do on a daily basis to survive. But it makes all the difference when you're really passionate about a topic. And so I'm so excited to delve into all of these topics about psychology that we are going to talk about. Thank you, Matana. Thank you. Thank you for pronouncing my name right, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> by the way, I asked her what Sahara means and it means radiant. And in the Hebrew word, Zohar, it means glamour, like mm-hmm. an, a gem or I hope I'm, pronou- I'm saying it right. I'm going to have to look it up exactly, but I think it's glamour and gem. It's secrets. It's something more than the, than the usual. So it's very appropriate for your name. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I was just, I was just telling you earlier that I think we all step into what our names really mean. And so when, when people ask you, what does your name mean? It's so important that you understand that because right. I feel like it was really chosen for you and for you to embody those qualities is such a privilege it's such an honor as well and i also believe that part of our names when we are given a name it's giving ourselves those attributes that connect mm. to the name so absolutely yeah absolutely. so it's a name is a very powerful energy so we shouldn't take it lightly so um zahara i want to give the audience a background you're 27 years old you grew up in south africa tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about your family and and just like a few minutes on the, on your background who who are okay. your parents siblings where did you grow up schools mm-hmm. education Mm-hmm. So I like that you asked that question because I think it influences so much of why I even chose psychology. I come from a traditional Indian family background. Um, so that means that my grandparents came to South Africa a while back. Um, I was born here and raised here. My parents were also born here and raised here. But um, something that was really difficult to break out of, especially for me, was the Indian cultural notion of mental health is something which is wrong. Mm. And that seeing a psychologist and talking about emotions is something that you become so ashamed of. Mm. And so growing up, I felt that I carried so much of shame for my own emotions because I felt that I couldn't talk to anybody about it. I come from a family where emotions is not something that is easily talked about. Mm. And so over the years, it has taken me a long while to really recognize that this is who I am. I feel like I'm very in touch with my emotions. It's actually the language that I speak. I Mm. speak the emotional language very well. And it's taken me a long time to try and educate people, especially in the Indian society, about the importance of emotions. That has been my work over the past few years. Uh, I graduated about four years ago. And ever since then, I've really been on, I would call it an inward journey of trying to trying to find my place in this profession. I feel like everything that I studied at university came so overwhelming to actually apply to a client. It's so hard to use a textbook theory and really apply to normal, real, everyday people. And so that really took me on an inward journey of trying to first accept who I am as a person. And that was the most important thing before I felt that I could help somebody else step into their emotions. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's been a long journey for me, but I think it's been very rewarding, very difficult at times too. But I think what I've learned is that I, I walk my own journey and that I'm really responsible um, for my own emotional well-being and for really using my gifts of knowing about emotions, you know, helping people tap into intuition, using it to my to my advantage and also to other people's advantage of really helping them as well. So your parents were really against sharing pains and struggles with the world. They had the disbelief, get over Mm -hmm. it, get into life, move on in life and just deal with it and don't share your struggles. Absolutely. So I grew up where we couldn't tell our cousins and we couldn't tell our aunts that we were struggling. Um, It could be something as simple as you just recently faced a death in the family. For example, I lost my dad when I was quite young. I was 12 when I lost my dad. (gasps) But um, yeah, it was, it was really difficult, but that was not something that I could readily rely on people for support for. And that was my immediate family um, because nobody really knew how to console you. Nobody knew how to support you, um, you know. And so I think the notion was to thrust children into academics mm. and make sure that they thrived in those areas. Um, and so what, what actually happened was that we tended to overcompensate in certain areas 
only to discover after we finished graduating and after a long while of, of studying that something deeper was missing and that something something needed to be spoken about, that there was this whole emotional language that was not uncovered by our family yet, that wasn't even acknowledged by people, that you are an emotional being. Hmm. And so it's it's been a long journey of trying to really bring that to to people's awareness, that it is an important part. Do you think it comes from shame or from just not having the language to support? What is it? I think it's a bit of both. I think there's a lot of shame when you say that, you know what, I'm really not doing okay. Um, I think people attribute it to religion a lot. Um, And so what I've seen is that if you say, you know what, I may be struggling with depression or anxiety, Mm -hmm. people's first response is, well, I think you need to pray more. Maybe you need to become closer to God. That's Mm -hmm. the reason why you are struggling. Mm. And so your response automatically then is, oh no, I can't tell anybody because they'll think that I'm I'm not a religious person. They'll think that I'm not close to God. They'll think that I'm a bad person. Wow. Yeah. So there's wow. a lot of deep-rooted beliefs about emotions. Wow. And then you feel belittled in both ways. One, I'm is it stigmatized even a word? I'm I'm giving no, it is. Yeah. That I'm not I'm not religious enough. I'm not a believer. I'm not close to God. God's punishing me in a way. And exactly. then in the other, I'm weak. I can't exactly. I'm so there's so much pain around sharing. I'm just in awe that you were willing to speak up and to deep dive into it when it's such a strong thing in your culture, which I was not, by the way, I was not aware of it at all. I thought that the Indian culture is the most loving, caring, supportive, kind entity. So you know what? Like I I must admit that there are those elements in a lot of families. We believe in 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 collective community. So when there's a big celebration, everybody's over at your house and you're all enjoying supper together and everybody speaks about general topics. But as soon as you mention my child is really struggling or my child is going through depression, that's when the silence comes in and that's when nobody knows what to say. Mm-hmm. And so I have really seen in other people and in other families, um, you know, and that's alongside my own family, that we are all really ashamed of being human. We are ashamed of being emotional beings. Mm. Uh, Something as simple as I'm having a bad day or I feel so sad or I feel angry. Normal human emotions are so difficult to actually talk about. And so it's it's really been a lot of work, starting with my own family, talking Mm. about these kinds of of topics because I feel like there's there's no use in our suffering in silence. When we feel lonely and when we feel alienated from society. That's what makes it even worse for us. That's what makes us feel like we have nobody to lean on when we are going through a bad day. When oftentimes just picking up the phone and talking to somebody who you can rely on and saying, Mm. this is what happened to me and hearing them pay attention to you or empathize with you or have Mm. compassion with you. Such simple things, you know, simple Mm -hmm. things that you feel that everybody should really know. These are things which I have really had to bring to people's awareness because it's so important in our culture. Is it also in the South African culture? Is it only the Indian culture? I think it is also very prevalent in the South African culture. So bear in mind that South Africa is very multicultural. So there's 11 different languages. There are so many different cultures here. But there is the stigma in a lot of the African cultures as well that um, if you are going through something like depression or um, bipolar, for example, um, that your ancestors are not happy with you. That's a very big stigma. That's something that a lot of people hear all the time. Wow. Yes, that your ancestors are not happy with you and that you you need to go to a traditional healer um, because you may have have erred somewhere in life. And so what it does is it makes you feel like you are always to blame. And that you are just being punished for something which many a time is not even your fault at all. Wow. That is big, big stuff to process. I know there's stigma by us, but nothing close to that. Like Mm -hmm. that is 
deep, but that is like, and, and, and I'm just like processing this to think that you so young had the courage to be outspoken about it and to break your own beliefs that you were trained to believe and say, this is not okay. I'm going to be a safe place for people to come share. Not only am I going to be a safe place, I'm going to start sharing myself and deep diving into myself and having the conversation with myself and others. That is extreme courage. Wow. Did it start when your father passed away or was it even earlier than 12 years old? I think my father passing away was probably the catalyst for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I went through so much of emotional turmoil when he passed away. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that I immediately dealt with because like I said, everybody just pushed our emotions aside. Mm-hmm. And so I really thrived academically. I mm-hmm. made sure that I did really well at school. Mm-hmm. I got a, a scholarship to go to university mm-hmm. um, in university. I thrived as, um, as, as well. But deep down inside, I always felt that there was something which was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, academics couldn't make up for the, for the emotional expression, which I was begging to really let out. Mm-hmm. And then I started speaking to other people from, from the Indian community as well. Mm-hmm. And many a time they would tell me the same thing. They would say, I feel so misunderstood by my family. Mm. I feel so judged by society. I feel so unheard by people. Mm -hmm. And it was a common theme, which I kept hearing over and over again, until I thought, hey, I'm interested in psychology. I'm interested in the language of emotion. I'm also a very spiritual person. So I believe that I'm here for a divine reason, Mm -hmm. and I need to fulfill that calling in my life. Mm -hmm. And so Part of that calling for me, I believe, is really to help a lot of society unlearn what we have grown up learning to be as normal. And that's very difficult. It's very Very. difficult because not everybody wants to hear it. Not everybody wants to hear that mental health and emotions is actually a normal part of of the human, um, of the of the human being. Mm. And oftentimes when you, when you say it out loud, it sounds so strange, right? Right. That a human being is filled with emotions because I mean, who can say that they, that they don't have a bad day or that they, they have never gotten angry or upset or frustrated. Everybody has at one point or the other in their lives, but still it's the, it's the recognition that it's okay to feel these things, which is missing. It's the lack of acceptance. It's the lack of, I'm feeling like this. Um, Can I tell anybody? Can I phone somebody and say that I had a bad day? Mm-hmm. These are things that a lot of people still don't know. And so I feel like it's it's really part of my journey to um, bring that to people's awareness that they that they are accepted and that it's okay to feel however you feel. It's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's been a long process and it's been a long journey, but I think that I'm just so passionate and so excited about it because of what I went through after my dad passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, that I feel that even that in itself was part of my part of my calling. Yes. Um, and part of fulfilling my life's purpose. Yes. What did he pass away from? So he just suddenly had a stroke. It was out of the blue. One day he was there and the next day he passed wow. away. No preparation. None at all. And now when I look back, because you were asking me earlier about my private practice and what kind of clients I I work with. And a lot of the clients that I see now are school going children. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's children who are around the age that I was when my Mm -hmm. dad passed away, which was 12 years old. And I I look at them and I think you have such a privilege to have somebody speak to you about emotional regulation emotional expression because for me it was my father passed away you grieve for a few days everybody's there for the funeral people come and offer their sympathies and the next week you're back at school and you're thrown into life again and you can't talk about grief and you and can't bring it up even with exactly. your mom well yeah i think it was so difficult for my mom as well because it was so sudden that she now was in so much of financial difficulty that she had to work two jobs And so for her, it was the stress of having to fend for two kids because it's my brother and I. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she she really struggled to be emotionally available for us as well. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't we didn't have the language. I didn't have the language to know that it's okay to actually grieve. I think a lot of my grieving happened in the in the later parts of um, 
of my years, which mm-hmm. even recently, sometimes I still grieve over him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's also okay. That's mm-hmm. fine. You know, yeah. I think it's just acceptance that everybody is, everybody's really living life at their own pace. Everybody's yeah. journey is unique to them. Mm-hmm. And just having somebody being compassionate towards you in your journeys is remarkable. It's so helpful. Yeah. And, and it's uplifting. What, what did your mother say when you decided to start breaking the stigma and talking about feelings and sharing your feelings and inviting others and getting into psychology? Was she pro or against or something that in between that she wasn't sure? So my mom is actually very proud of me. What I, what I realized was that in my journey of learning psychology, um, I got to recognize in her the inability to speak about what she felt. And so it it wasn't always because she didn't want to speak about emotion, but it's that she didn't have the language to do so. Mm. And she felt that there wasn't any safe space for her to do so. Mm. We always talk about holding space for somebody's pain. And I feel like she she didn't have that. She didn't mm-hmm. have anybody to hold space for her pain. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is that as a mother, all she focused was on pushing her children through school, making sure that they get a good education. Mm -hmm. And that was it, just providing for her children. Mm -hmm. But when I decided to study psychology, I I could see how proud she was because it was like suddenly I had the language for something which she had been, um, you know, struggling to really express for most of her life. Wow. So it's it's been a very beautiful thing. I think it also really connected us in so many ways. So beautiful. It's just so encouraging to people that are under the umbrella of certain beliefs, but they don't connect to them and the stigma and the or the shame or the fears. And here you are so young and trying to change your environment and people in your society to live a better life and to choose better and to connect into their emotion. That's really, really inspiring. I want to deep dive a little bit into this Oprah Winfrey experience because I, I, and then we'll go into how you treat your clients now. Um, you said that when you were very young, you had this vision. Um, she was on your vision board when you were young, Oprah Winfrey, and you said one day you're going to meet her and you actually met her because you were part of her faculty in her school in South Africa, which is wow. And I think when she's in America, she's about around a million people. But when mm-hmm. she comes to her own private school in South Africa, every staff for her is a gem probably. So it was more intimate to meet her versus in a public affair here in, in America. So you you really got it. So talk to me about your journey with yeah. visualizing Oprah and becoming something big. And, um, and how did you get into the school? What, what was the journey? So let me just take you right back to the beginning. I feel like I was basically raised by Oprah. I used to come back from school every single day and watching her for one hour on TV was life-changing for me. I felt that she actually also inspired so much of my interest in psychology, uh, but also in things like consciousness, meditation. Um, You know, she would always speak about such profound topics. And so much of me believes that I was raised by Oprah. That's that's always what I tell people. That's so beautiful. Because yes. You found your mentors. You found your support. I you didn't, did. you didn't have did. your support. I always talk about this. And actually today's episode that was released was about finding your mentors and support. And you mm-hmm. actually did it all the way in South Africa. You didn't have your family to really support you. Your father passed away. You yeah. were grieving. You didn't have the language or the therapist or even the awareness that it's okay. Exactly. So you found your mentor. You That's found her, even though she was so far away, you found a way to get inspired by Oprah every single day. And that's it's what I talk about. Awesome. Sensational. Thank you. It was sensational. Oprah, back back then, she would always rave about creating a vision board. Mm-hmm. And she would always say, you have to have a vision for your life because you are responsible for your life. Mm-hmm. And that's one message that always stuck with me because I always thought, I am responsible for my life. Wow, this is a gift to me. This mm-hmm. is something that is given to me. You know, right. this life is not yeah. something that's simple and trivial, mm-hmm. especially when you are born and you, and, and you are already so passionate about something. Mm-hmm. And so, when, when she said, you have to create your vision board, at the age of 15 or 16, there I was creating my own vision board. And Oprah was in the middle of no the- way. 
I hope everybody's listening. Listen, dream big, write it down, make pictures, make art. It's this a is real thing. It's, it's so real. Oh. What you hold in your mind's eye will come into reality if you believe in it strongly mm. enough. And so what that did for me was, I mean, I... I still listen to Oprah all the time because I feel like she has so much of wisdom mm -hmm. and so much of insight to share with people. Mm -hmm. And so last year, um, last year I actually created a new vision board. Um, and again, Oprah was all over it. But now being a lot older and having different goals and having different visions, mm -hmm. I wanted to align it with what I put on, on my vision board. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was the middle of the year and I was, I was not working and I was looking for a job. Um, and my friend contacted me one day and she said, hey, did you know that the Oprah school is actually looking for people? And I was, <laughs> I, I was so, oh my gosh, I was, I was absolutely gobsmacked that this actually was something that I could apply for. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that I would be selected to work there. Wow. And also be selected to work in a field which I'm passionate about, being a counselor to these girls. Wow. And so I obviously applied for the job. I went for the interview. And about a week later, they called me and they told me that I got it. That and is not I was normal. The, I was over the moon and I, and I couldn't believe it. Now when I tell people that story, it really makes them believe in the power of your dreams. Yeah. Because there is, there is proof that what you are invested in, what you invest your energy and your focus and your attention towards, um, if, it is, if it is truly aligned with who you are as a person and part of your calling, it will always come to you. And so when it happened, I said, this is, this is truly divine. It's a divine moment. Um, it was beautiful to have the opportunity of working as a therapist with these girls at the school. These are girls who come from such impoverished backgrounds with stories that are too difficult to even talk about. They have so much of history and so much of trauma happening. And to actually be somebody who could have held space for this girl in that moment of distress and remind this girl of her resilience and her ability to make something bigger and better of herself. I felt that I was actually paying gratitude towards Oprah for how she had helped me when I was a child. That was Did how you say I that to her when you met her? Well, I wish that I could have, but it was such a brief moment. It was just about less than five seconds taking a photo with her and moving on to, to the next person. I wish that I could have interacted with her a lot more. Right. But when I met her, all I said was, thank you. That was all that I needed to say to her. And I'm so glad that I told her thank you because I feel like really so much of who I am and so much of what I believe in has been inspired by her teachings. And I'm so glad that I got to give back to her in a way by working at her school with these girls. That's such a beautiful way of thinking about it, that you gave back to her passion. Yeah. She mm -hmm. gave your passion and now you're giving her passion. So tell the audience a little bit about this school that you told me about before. Like what was the, how did it come to fruition, this school? Yes. So Oprah um, was very good friends with Nelson Mandela back when he was still alive. And she always relays the story of visiting him, being very nervous about visiting Nelson Mandela. And she told her partner, what am I going to talk to to Nelson Mandela about for, for 30 days? And her partner said, why don't you just try and listen? <gasps> and so she, yes, how, how beautiful is that? That sometimes we don't need to Epic. hold these in with conversation. We need to just listen. Epic, 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 just listen. Okay, now I'm going to listen. I have been having a hard time when I'm so excited, but I'm going to listen. Yeah, go on. <laughs> So, so anyways, that was her intention of going in to meeting Nelson Mandela with the intention of listening to him. Because a man with so much of wisdom, somebody who has fought for the freedom of his country, essentially, and having Oprah there at his feet, this is what she said, that one day she was sitting at his feet and um, they were talking about education and they, and they were talking about how many uh, students in South Africa and more particularly how many girls in South Africa don't have access to good education and these are girls who come from from homes which are so traumatic but girls who still prosper in, in school and still have the ability to make something of themselves and so what she told him was that she was going to gift him 
a school in South Africa. And so this was essentially her gift to Nelson Mandela, creating wow. a school. And so the school is called the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls. Um, it's the only school of its kind under her name um, in the world for now, although she has said, well, this is what I've, I've heard her say on her shows, that she would like to, to open up uh, more schools across um, USA and, you know, different countries but it's been incredible because the vision of the school is not just about about the girl's academics it's not making sure that the girl gets 90% in all of her subjects that she's good at math and science but also that she's equipped to deal with life and i feel like that is so important that's missing in education that we're teaching 100%. children to to value themselves yes. in terms of the grades that they get yes. but are we really valuing them in terms of the human beings that they are in terms of their emotional resilience in terms of how they relate to their friends, how kind they are, how compassionate they are. And so it was beautiful to really work in an environment where they look at the girl as a whole picture and not just somebody who can be summed up by a 90% aggregate. It was profound. It was so profound to work in such an environment like that. Wow, that's a dream. I think all educators, and I have a very big pet peeve with education that they're all about the textbooks and they're not about building the human, the, the kindness, the interaction, the self-love, the self-acceptance, the talking about stuff that are hard in life, preparing us for relationships. They don't give us these tools and we're spending eight to 10 hours a day for 12 years minimum before we exactly. go to a minimum 12 most fundamental years of our lives and learning all of this textbook stuff, but what about human interaction? What about exactly. kindness? What about vulnerability? Exactly. What about building our character, finding who we are, finding exactly. out who we are, mm-hmm. what what is our strong point? My strong point and your strong point are different and that's okay. We are not robots. We are not programmed to be the same. And it is so refreshing to hear that Oprah is starting this in South Africa and hopefully schools around the world will learn from this. And I'm sure, and I'm happy that she called it a leadership school because that's real. When leaders are programmed, I should say, not programmed, but taught properly how to lead properly. Simon Sinek talks about this, the leadership. Yes, yes. And when you are taught to lead properly and become the best human you can, you could take any leadership position. It's parenting. Is it in a, in a company, in a community, in something that you believe that needs to change? So leadership exactly. is exactly mm-hmm. the word that you should, that, that was chosen properly, which I'm so in awe of because yes. we should all be teaching our children leadership of their you own know, lives. It is- It is so important because leadership is not how much of money you make or how materially successful you are. Mm -hmm. And as children, that's what we are taught. We are Mm -hmm. taught that we need to get A's in all of our subjects. We Mm -hmm. need to go to university. We need to make a living for Mm -hmm. ourselves. That is what I was taught. And that was, that was the normal mindset of us, of us school going children. What we were not taught was conscious education mm-hmm. of how do I build my self esteem? Not just to know that I am a number. I am not a 90%. I can be the most intelligent person in my school, but I can still struggle with something emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so raising conscious children and this often starts with the parents as well being a conscious parent being a conscious parent enough to recognize that your child is bigger than just the traditional education system Mm -hmm. takes so much of courage and it's actually something that i'm trying to practice um when when i see clients every single day it's letting my letting the parents know that their child is not just a number. Your child is not his grade in mathematics or science. Your child is a human being. And sometimes when I ask them, what do you tell your child every day when your child comes back from school? And they say, well, I ask them, how was your day at school? Um, how was your tests? How much did you get in your tests? And if it was if it was something that was not too great, then I mean, there's a consequence to that. Because I'm sending you to school, you should be achieving high marks in all of your subjects. And then I look at them and I say, 
Have you, have you ever really asked your child how he or she is doing? Who are their friends? How do they feel about the subjects that they are taking? Are they studying towards their own dreams or are they studying towards your dreams? Mm. Because that is something that so many parents do, that oftentimes when we don't have the opportunity to fulfill a dream in our childhood as a mm. parent, you put that on your child. Yeah. And you think that your child is going to fulfill your dream for you, not recognizing that your child is a completely different entity, mm. that your child is born through you, but not from you. That's actually one of my famous uh, favorite quotes by Khalil Gibran, where he says, your children are born through you and not from you. Mm. And I think, wow, that is so beautiful. So because profound. sometimes parents, yeah, sometimes parents just see their children as mere extensions of themselves. Right. Wow. And so do they listen? Some of them, I mean, it's a it's a very foreign concept, right? Right. Parenting is not geared in that way at all. And so it's it's a lot for parents to swallow. What also uh, perpetuates it is the guilt. It's right. the guilt of am I a bad parent? Right. Um why is my child struggling? My child is in the best of schools. My child is so intelligent. My child is good at sport. Why is my child struggling? Why does my child need to go for counseling? And then we get these children who tell us, I don't like doing this subject. I'm doing it because I want to please my parents. Or I feel like I don't belong with my friends. I feel like I have nobody to talk to. Um, I feel like there's there's nothing valuable within me. And then we have to really, we, we have to communicate to the parents that their children are so much bigger than just simple education, that their children are human beings. And that maybe coming home and asking their child more intimate questions, trying to get to know your child. How do you feel about what happened to you today? Yeah. Who are your friends and how do you interact with them? How do you feel about yourself? How do you feel when you get sad? What do you do when you get sad? Because as parents, oftentimes our immediate reaction is don't be sad. Don't be, don't right. cry. Right. Toughen up. That's right. what we are so used to telling children. Right. But how, how available are we to hold space for our children to really explore their own emotions? Is it that parents feel like if we don't toughen them up, they won't be able to survive in life? Are we trying as, and I'm talking we because I'm in that boat. Mm -hmm. um, as much as I'm very into vulnerability and sharing, I also believe that you have to do your best and you have to at least try. What What is it that the parent is feeling that is that if they just let the kid express their emotions and show up the way they are, that we have to feel like, no, go a little further, try a little harder, study another hour. What is the fear that we have as a parent? You know, oftentimes I see parents who are so uncomfortable with their own emotions. Mm. They don't know how to sit with themselves as human beings. Mm. We have been raised as a society to go through school, to get a job, and that's what consumes us on a daily basis. Mm. We go to work, we come home, we attend to what needs to be done, we go to sleep, and it's like we hit the repeat button the next day. Exactly. And so when a child comes and when a child says, I'm struggling, we feel like life is so complex and life is so much bigger than one emotion that we try and just shut it off and we try and what we call strengthen them because we are afraid that emotions are seen as weakness, not realizing and recognizing that emotions such as sadness or, ang or anger or frustration, those are very strength. important emotions as well. Yes, mm -hmm. and it's a strength. Mm -hmm. If you look at all of the leaders, I mean, Simon Sinek, for example, mm -hmm. he never ever talks about earning all of the money, but he talks about things like empathy. He talks right. about walking into the office and asking your colleagues, how are you doing today? And actually waiting for them to answer. Yeah. And so what, what that shows us is that so much of success, so much of leadership is actually in being able to sit with who you are as a person. Yeah. And I feel like so many of us parents, unfortunately, many of us work very tough jobs. We come home, we are busy. So many parents say, I don't have time to attend to my children's needs. Right, right. But then I ask them, how much of time do you have to attend to your own emotional needs? Because that's where it starts, right? Wow. So you basically go to the vessel that needs to hold space and say, is this vessel open enough for itself 
before you could put anything into it. So you're going back to the parent and saying, okay, what, let's see what's going on inside you to see how we can heal you and give you the space so you can hold space for your child's pain and suffering Mm. or struggles. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Because oftentimes, oftentimes, everybody has a story, right? And if you have to sit and listen to these parents, they will tell you that as children, nobody listened to them. Mm. And so what did they learn? They grew up learning that emotions are inherently bad. Mm-hmm. They grew up learning that they had to put up the facade of strength. Right. And so now having their own children, that's all they know. Mm-hmm. That's what they've been conditioned to parent their children in that way. Right. And so when you go back to how they were parented, you right. realize that it's a whole history of people who are uncomfortable or who didn't have the language to talk about these difficult emotions. I think in today's day and age, children have a lot more access. And maybe that's why it's brought to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Children have access to social media. Right. Um, you know, there are so many messages of mental health every right. week. Right. Oftentimes in schools, there are counselors, there are psychologists. Okay. Yeah. And so for, for children today to speak about mental health and emotion is a lot different to when our parents were in school. Yes. They didn't have the tools. They so there's different languages. Use. Yes. And so really parents are now playing catch up. Parents are playing catch up and they're recognizing, hey, I actually have a lot which I haven't dealt with myself. That is fascinating. And maybe if I dig deep into my own healing, maybe I can make space for my child's emotional well-being as well. Right. It always starts with, it's, there's, there's always a history. There's always a story. That's mm-hmm. what I've realized. Everybody has something going on. But what do you do when the parent is not willing to, un- uh, to hear you and they just want you to counsel their child and fix their child? And they're not willing, they don't have them to show up for yourself and really do the work is hard work. I don't have to tell you, right? So mm-hmm. much work, so much stability, so much awareness. And most humans are not willing to do the work. What do you, what do you do with a child that really wants change, but their parent is, or it could be any relationship that is not going well, that one side mm-hmm. wants to do the change and the, the vessel or the, the, the other side is just not, is not able to implement the strategies or the looking in or the, the inner work that has to be done. What do you tell the child? You no, know, that's a very difficult situation. And I wish that I could say that I could just help the child by himself or herself. I wish that I could say that I could just equip them with the tools to help them learn about emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes I feel that most of the work happens outside of my office. It's what happens at home. That's what reinforces the behavior. And so my my initial approach is to first have a meeting with the parent and, and to tell them, I'm not here to fix your child. Right. I don't have a magic wand. I am here to help bring to your awareness what is happening in your child's emotional well-being. But you need to be on my side to help me with that. And so my work really is only ever effective when I hand it back to you and I say, this is how you need to reinforce it at home. Mm. And when there are parents who are not willing to do that, unfortunately, that's something that I have to accept, right? Everybody is at a very different stage of their own consciousness and of their own healing. Right. And I always tell them, maybe you may not be ready now. Maybe there's one thing which resonated with you from this therapeutic process. Uh-huh. Maybe there's nothing. Maybe I'm not the right therapist for you. That is all absolutely okay. I feel that when parents are ready, then they will approach the work. But it's my duty to bring it to their awareness. Can you give kids some tools to work on their own if their environment is toxic? Because I see that yeah, a lot of your posts are about strengths and how to put your kids in the right environment and tools. And what do you do? Let's say a kid doesn't have well parents or mentally ill parents that are very abusive what do you tell the child how can you help them help themselves Mm. so oftentimes it's really um, helping the child become aware of their own emotions so first recognizing your emotions Mm -hmm. Um, as a child it's the ability to really label what I'm feeling especially for the younger ones Mm -hmm. Um, am I feeling sad am I feeling angry am I feeling upset and what does that feel like Mm -hmm. and then um, also equipping them with the tools of accepting 
thing that feelings are not always fast. So children tend to see emotions as consuming. They feel that I, if, if I am sad at one particular point in time, it feels that I'm always going to be sad. And so it's really bringing to the child's awareness that all feelings are temporary. And in that state of mind, what can I do to maybe ease the, the emotion just a bit? And sometimes we use play therapy because children really enjoy playing and we can turn it into something that's very therapeutic for them. So we tell them, if you are having a bad day, what can you do? What can I do to make myself feel better if I'm feeling sad today? Um, and oftentimes it's the very simple things. For girls, they often lead towards expressing themselves creatively. So journaling every single day and trying to make sense of what I feel. Mm-hmm. For, for boys, it's oftentimes maybe playing sport and using that as a release. Um, sometimes it's also building friendship groups mm-hmm. because your friends can be a very, very big beacon of support for you, especially when you don't have that at home. Mm-hmm. So what we really try and foster within the child is the ability to see themselves as a beacon of support and also to see the people around them as a beacon of support. Mm-hmm. But it's very, very difficult when these children go home and it's the same situation. Unfortunately, I mean, those are the kids who, who need it the most. Right. But really, those are the kids who also need the, the cooperation of their parents the most. And yeah. you don't always get that, which is quite sad. But do you give them the courage that they can still do it, even though they don't have the support at home, they could still overcome it? Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So so my therapy space is really about holding space for your for all of your emotions. Um, it's about equipping you with the tools of resilience. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different ways that you can do that for children. But mm-hmm. when children learn to tap into their own power base and recognize that they are so much bigger than what is happening around them, that is when you really see them shine. That is when you really see them see themselves as bigger than just the academics. Mm. And these are the children who maybe come back later to you, you know, having gone through university and now having the opportunity of moving out of their, their immediate home environment. These are the children who come back and who say, wow, thank you. Thank you for just holding space for my pain and for teaching me that I'm bigger than one emotion. Yes. And so it's something that you foster over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. It's something that's not just a once-off process. I feel like we, we tend to see our emotional well-being as I just take a magic pill or I go to the therapist's office and I walk out feeling better. Mm-hmm. Not always, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. you walk out feeling worse, mm-hmm. but it's part of the work. And so you you teach them that their mind is as important a muscle as, for example, when they play sport and how interested and how invest and, and how invested they are in building their their physiques. That mm-hmm. their mind and their emotional well-being is a muscle as well. And so giving them the homework and the tools every day to foster this emotional awareness mm-hmm. is something which I'm which I currently incorporate into my practice as well. So now I understand why you say you love the holistic atro- approach, because this is the holistic approach approach of it's like a drip therapy, slowly, slowly, slowly. It's not just you take the pill, you heal. It's a slowly change of the mindset of behavior, noticing the behavior uh, that your, your habits, your environment, each kid individual, what's suffer, what he's suffering from, he, she's suffering from, what they, what is their challenges and implementing a holistic approach with each client individually. Mm what will work for them. mm, Absolutely. My belief is that we all have so much of power and that as a therapist, I want you to access your own power base so that you don't need me because you know more about your own email, um, about your own emotional well-being than mm-hmm. I will ever know. You have access to your intuition. You have access to your inner wisdom. Mm-hmm. You have access to your own emotions in a way that no matter how much I study, no matter how much of experience I have as a therapist, I cannot do for you what essentially you can do for yourself. Mm. And so my yes. my belief, my belief is that I need to bring to your awareness that you are so powerful. I am just the vessel. I am just the facilitator. Mm-hmm. Healing doesn't happen because of me. Healing only happens through me in my office. Yes. And that's something that I always tell clients that you are so powerful is it right now. But it's okay. It's okay because it's a journey, right? Yes. And we are all walking our own journeys. And so helping people access their own power base is really 
really, really, really important, I feel. I need my clients to know that they do not need me forever. I want them to walk out of the office feeling like they are actually equipped to deal with life that they may have learned something from the therapeutic process, that they may have learned something about themselves. Mm -hmm. That's the intention. That's my intention in therapy every single day. So, and that's, that's a true therapist that wants the well-being of their clients to say, okay, I'm going to give you the tools. We'll work through it. We'll, we'll practice, but then you can take it for life and take it to any situation in life and implement the tools that I give you to survive Mm -hmm. and to become a better person and to work through struggles because struggles, come to the day we die. Like there's just constant and they're just different kinds, different shapes, different environments. It's just, it's constant, but we need to choose to work through them and choose to want to work through them and to overcome them and to grow through them. I want to, um, you, you post, I think you post on Instagram every day. Yes. Every, every day. day. So okay. I have the 365 days I, of self-growth. Right. And then I also have posts, which are also, you know, just to resonate or basically just what's going on in, in my own world, things which I may have learned myself right. or from right. clients. Right. Those are things which I share with people and they always find it so helpful. So day 42 in the 365 day of self-growth, you're right. What if life was not about becoming, but rather unbecoming every single thing you thought you had to attend to be worthy of love, respect, and recognition. So that is currently, if I can share, that's where I'm at in my journey. I have always thought that I need to become successful at my career. I need to become wealthy. I need to be at peace. I need to be happy. All of these expectations is part of the becoming. Then, but then yesterday I thought, what if it's the recognition that it's not that I have to become any of these things. It's recognizing that I am already full. I am born with that. And it's just learning to access it again, right? Mm-hmm. Because over the years, it gets covered by all of these, all of these egoic um, gains, if I can right, call it. Right. Um, it's the need to be seen by people. It's the recognition that now you are a professional and your work needs to be valued. And if I don't have that, who am I? Right. If I don't have that, have I really succeeded? Right. If I don't make money, am I successful as a person? And then I thought, if I take away every single accomplishment of mine, does that mean that I'm a nobody if I'm placing so much of value on on every material gain. Yeah. And what I realized is that I was already born full. I was already born whole. I've just learned that I need to prove to other people through recognition and through material gain that I am, that I am worthy of love and respect and recognition. And that's not true. It's already in me. It's, it just needs to be accessed by me. And so this continuous striving is something that I am trying to unlearn. Mm-hmm. I feel like trying to be a better person. Yes, there's, there's always place for that. There's always place to access greater parts of your emotional well-being. But essentially at my core, I am already whole. I am already enough. Although I may not I am be enough. enough. Exactly. Yeah. I am enough. That's I was, the- I was born enough. I was born worthy mm-hmm. and everything else is just a, a topping on the cake. Mm-hmm. But the cake needs to be solid, right? I need to recognize that the cake is already solid. And so that's that's really where I'm at personally right now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's amazing to also share that therapists are not perfect people. We are people just, who yeah. that everybody else goes through. I have bad days so often. And right. it's, it's okay, right. you know, but helping right. people recognize that emotions yes. and being authentic in your emotions is, is, um, is something that everybody goes through. It yes. also breaks the barrier between you as a professional, in inverted commas, and them as a client. And it really bridges the gap and they learn to see themselves in you. Yes. So that's really important. And relate to you. The other day I um I I shared a post of episode that I did with a doctor and she, we called the episode Doctors Also Suffer from Mental Illness. And she was talking about the stigma that doctors are not supposed to be struggling with mental illness. They have to be strong. And she was we were it was a deep dive into how everybody can struggle and, and even even people that are in service to heal 
still can also struggle. And I had a conversation with a psychiatrist that wanted to be on my podcast. I actually wanted him to be on my podcast. And um, and then he said, uh, off the record, I also suffer from depression. And I said, why is it off the record? He said, because I don't want people to know. I said, yeah. I said, if I said, don't you think that people will connect you on so so much deeper level if they know that you understand not only tech book what they're going through, but actually can empathize because you know the feeling? He said, well, there's, uh, there's still like, I don't want people to think that I won't be able to help them. And I realized that I can't have him on my show if he is not part of what I believe in breaking the stigma, that there is no one that is such a high standard in life that has an immune system against mental health, mental illness. Like it can happen to anybody. Some people go through life and don't have it. And that's amazing and good for Mm -hmm. them. But just because you're a doctor and just because you're a therapist or just because you're a psychiatrist, or it doesn't mean that you don't struggle just like many of us struggle. And breaking the stigma is on all levels of life, not just the average human that didn't go to medical school that didn't go to to psychology, you know, to go through training of being a therapist. And the more we speak about it, the more human we become. And and then we could bring down the conversation to there's no levels, there's no better or worse, or I'm on a higher level or lower level. We're all equal and we're all struggling or not struggling, but that's okay. We have different struggles in life and we have to just be there to support each other and empathize with each other. And that's what it's all about. And I appreciate Mm -hmm. your sharing the fact that you also struggle and that people can relate to you, even though you're a therapist. Thank you. You know, I feel like this facade of perfection is so dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous for ourselves because we put so much of pressure on ourselves to be perfect. And perfection doesn't exist. Whether you are a doctor, whether you are a teacher, no matter right. who you are, right. you are bound to have a bad day. Nobody's exempt, like you right. said. Nobody right. is exempt. Right. And so when when I am authentic and when I can tell you that I also struggle, it helps you see yourself in me and helps you recognize that if I could overcome it, you can overcome it too. It, right. it gives you a template for resilience. Right. And even because more often, hope. Yes, exactly. Oftentimes we look to the people around us, right? We look at celebrities. For example, I'm very, very inspired by Oprah's story. And why right. am I inspired by her? Because this is a woman who was abused as a child. This is a woman who had such a difficult upbringing. But in spite of life's challenges, Mm -hmm. she still made something of herself. And so if Oprah chose not to share that part of herself with me, with the world, I probably wouldn't relate to her as much. But now that the barrier is broken down, now I see her as a human being. I don't see her as some marvelous entity who is different to me. Right. I see her as just another one of us. You human. know, somebody who is, yes, human, somebody who's made something of themselves. Right. And it right. inspires me to do the same. And I think as professionals, especially, we need to be open to that. Mm-hmm. We need to be open to being authentic mm-hmm. because people benefit so much more if you are an authentic therapist. And if if you are okay with where you are at emotionally, then if you had to put on the, this false facade of perfection, it just doesn't exist. It, yes, it doesn't. I agree. And it doesn't mean that you have to share all your deep dark secrets, but just don't pretend, don't pretend that you're not struggling, that you're above everybody. Like if you are struggling, just say, I'm struggling. I don't want to share my struggles. That's okay. That's totally okay. But don't say, I don't want to share that I have struggles and pretend that I'm not struggling like my clients. I feel like that's a double standard and it's not fair. (laughs) It is. And you know, oftentimes, and especially people who struggle with depression, mm-hmm. when they come into your office, they feel like they are the only people who have gone through this. Mm-hmm. And they go through such loneliness, such alienation. Yes. Yes. And they question, why me? Why mm-hmm. do I have to have this? And then they look at the people around them and they say, but this person doesn't have it. Why mm-hmm. el- Why was I chosen to be handed this mental Right, illness? right. But if a therapist you can bring to their awareness, hey, I also struggled with depression and I overcame it, or it's something that I have under control, that client will see you as a beacon of hope. That client will see you as a template for their own healing. It's so remarkable what authenticity, uh, this is something that Brennan Brown always talks about, you know, courage to be yourself. Mm. And 
I find that personally, I am drawn more to people like that, people who are willing to share parts of themselves, mm-hmm. because that's that that makes me see them for more than just a label. Mm-hmm. The worldly label will give you the you know the the profession of psychologist or doctor or whatever. Right. But I want to know the human. I want to know the human behind that. That's yes. that's where the magic is. That's true. I remember when I was interviewing my psychiatrist, I asked him, did you ever struggle struggle through depression? Mm -hmm. Because I wanted to know, do you understand my pain? Do you get what it's like to be on the wrong medication? Do you get what it's like to be suicidal? Do you get what it's like to be in such a deep, dark hole that you feel like you can't exist another minute? And part of me wanted him to say, yeah, I, I, I was there. I know exactly what you're going through because it gives me a little bit hope. Like, okay, he gets me and he really wants to help me heal, you know, <laughs> because mm. that part of empathy, that there's a sympathy and there's empathy. Mm. And, and when you know that somebody gets you, that's why I always say find the support that gets you, that you feel not alone, that so you, important. It's so mm-hmm. it's so part of the healing process and the strength to overcome it. So I agree 100%. I saw that you are writing a book of poetry. So not only are you a therapist, you're a poet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so tell me so about I, that. I love writing. Writing has been the outlet for me since I was a little kid. In fact, the first poem that I wrote was when I was nine years old, and I still have it. It's on my vision board. Writing has always given me the platform to express myself in such a way because I couldn't verbalize it. I didn't have the words for pain back then. And so what I would do is I would go to my journal every single day, and it was a Dear Diary thing. And I'd say, Dear Diary, this happened at school this person did this to me. This is how it made me feel. But it felt so therapeutic. Mm. And I I didn't realize that um, when, when I started writing poetry, and this has been recent, uh, because during my, um, you know, studying at university, I feel like I was very much out of touch with my creative side. I became very academically inclined, and I lost that part of me, and I actually missed it. Mm. And so when I was done with my studies, one of my intentions was to get back to writing. And when I started writing poetry, and for the first time, I started sharing it with people. People would come back to me and they would say, wow, you actually had the words for a feeling which I couldn't even describe. Or I felt like this before. How did you know? And I would say, oh my gosh, so many people relate to simple Simple things, simple human emotion. Many of my poems are really inspired by what I go through personally. Mm-hmm. Um, many of it is inspired by what I learned from other people because I genuinely believe that every single person, and this is from my personal relationships to my clients in practice, every person is sent to me for a reason and I am there to learn from them as much as they are there to learn from me. That is what I, I love so strongly. I yes. love that. Yes. That and is. so that's that's oh. what inspires my 365 days of self-growth as well. It's letting people know that I'm growing with you. This is mm. what I learned in, in therapy today. Let me share it with people. Of course, I'm not going to share personal details. I'm not going to share right. what the client said. Right. But what is the message behind today? What did I gather from today? Right. And so that really goes into my writing. It goes into my poetry. Poetry is very dear to my heart. My And you're my, very good at it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I'm I'm actually in the process of um, compiling a book and it's my intention to hopefully release and publish my book before the end of this year. Come it's on. one of my, it's, goals. oh my gosh, and it's, your passion. it's one of my goals. It's one of my passions. Writing for me is, feels like home, if mm. I can put it like that. I like Writing that. feels like home. I That's nice. Love can you read one poem for us? Okay. Well, this is not exactly a poem, but it's something that I wrote a few weeks ago. And I said that, I I think that in many ways, we expect life to fall at our feet and hold space for our grief when we hit rock bottom, because that's what it feels like to us. It feels like our world has just stopped, that everything which once mattered is now irrelevant, and that no amount of time or success will ever truly heal us. But then we wake up the next morning and we see the world moving as it always has. We see everybody wearing their suits and going to work. 
and attending weddings and being happy. We see kids around us playing and screaming with joy and we wonder how they can laugh so freely when the world is but so tragic to us. And suddenly we realize that our pain is only a fraction of what the human experience actually contains. Just a single momentary experience even if it doesn't feel like it for us at that point in time. Mm. Suddenly, we realize how pain stretches the heart to encompass only tragedy when at one point it burst with light. Suddenly, we realize that the world is so vast and how unexplainable the human experience truly is in all its shame, glory, and complexity. Beautiful. Wow. You are so talented. Wow, that is remarkable. I can't wait for it to come out. It'll be beautiful. It'll be so much, it'll be such a tool for people to just feel Mm. validated, understood, and and you yeah. give words to people that don't have words to explain what they're going through. Amazing. Yes. So, so that piece was actually inspired by, um, I was listening to somebody tell me about, about their sadness. And for them, it felt like the whole world is crumbling because that's what depression and sadness feels like. Mm-hmm. It feels like no matter how happy the, the, the world is or no matter how many parties you go to, no matter who you sit with, Mm-hmm. That you just can't find that in yourself yeah. at that point in time. Yeah. And so it was really inspired by that, that pain is only a fraction of the human experience. Right. But it's, it's still a notable fraction. It's still valid, you know, and that your, your pain is valid. Your feelings are always valid, no matter what you go through. There's always space for you on this earth to feel what you are feeling. Beautiful. Sahara, I want to ask you a last question before you tell everybody where they can reach you and find you and follow you. What does hope mean to you? I think for me, hope is the ability to reach in and access your own power base. It's knowing that when you're not having a good day, you are away from home. Home is always your internal power base. Mm. Hope is knowing that I will return back home to myself the next day and that it's only temporary. That that feelings are there as visitors, but they're not always there to stay. Home, wow. home within me is hope. <laughs> Nice. Nice. Wow. Thank you for that question. What a beautiful question. That is powerful that we always have the to go into ourselves and to access home in ourselves and feelings are just visitors. Yes. And they come and go and we can change our visitors, but we come inside ourselves a home where we feel good and hope to Mm. continue. Very beautiful. Thank you. Thank so, you. So Zahara, where can people find you? on? Are you on Facebook as well or only Instagram? No, so only Instagram for now. Okay. Um, you can follow me on, um, is it at Mindspace Counseling? Let me just double check. I don't even know what my handle is. Oh, there it is. Uh, so it's Mindspace underscore counseling. Um, that is my handle on Instagram. My poetry account on Instagram is at Poetry by Zahra. So that's uh, Z-A-H-R-A-A. So you can access me on both platforms. I love engaging with people on my social media. It's so important to build that community for me. And I will have the links in the show notes that people could just follow you and follow your wisdom and your beautiful, beautiful writing that is so inspiring. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for being the young woman in South Africa, changing so and, and changing the system that was not working for you to help others. Thank you for showing up in the world. And thank you for your smile and your beautiful energy. And so appreciated our conversation. And I can't wait to see where you're gonna where you're gonna go, how far you're gonna go. I really thank can't wait. Thank you so much. I was. I was just going to leave you with one thing that you said that your name means gift. Yeah. And I think that this platform that you've created to talk about this topic is a gift to all your listeners. Thank you. And so thank you for having this platform where so many of us can talk about what it means to be human. I am so privileged and so honored to have had the opportunity to actually speak to you about this. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, follow Zahara and follow her passion. We would love to hear from you, your journey as a child. What was it like? How did it change? What was your courage? And what is your language today to break the stigma? Thank you for joining me here today. Bye till next time. 
Thank you for joining us and taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. Please hit the subscribe button so you can hear further episodes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please leave feedback and ratings below. Let us know if there's any topic that you would like to hear from us in the future. Bye till next time.